Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers in writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude and hola, listeners. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes, welcoming you to episode 52 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. We're midway through National Poetry Month now, and we'll shortly be playing you part one of a two-part recorded live poetry reading. Before we hear that, though, I wanted to remind listeners once again that we're still accepting poetry recordings of you via our podcast poetry hotline. To phone yours in, just call 304-661-9745 and follow the instructions. If you'd rather see printed instructions in advance, we also spell those out at our podcast website, podcast.wvwriters.org. Today's two-part recorded live poetry reading was captured here in my neck of the state at Princeton Public Library on April the 11th. It features work by members of a local writers group called Appalachian Penworks. Their group meets 6.30 p.m. on the first Thursday of each month at the Princeton Public Library and is open to new members. They also have an online component in the form of a writer's forum at chiseledinstone.proboards.com, and we'll have that linked at our website as well. There they offer space for forum members to post anything from poetry to prose and all points in between. The first part of this recording features Appalachian Pinworks co-founder Raymond Neely, local poet and playwright Ashley Gill, and previous podcast guest Salvatore Butacci. Part two will feature husband and wife poets Beth and Steve Godfrey and former West Virginia writers officer and poet extraordinaire Rob Merritt. One thing to keep in mind while listening to this recording is that while my handy new Zoom H4N recorder picks up the voices of the poets quite well, it also picked up the occasional car driving by outside as well as the loud and raucous laughter of another group who was also using the library located down the hall from the room we recorded in. We start things off now with poet Raymond Neely. Good evening all. My name is Raymond Neely and I am delighted to read on this fine evening my most well-rhymed verse. Amid many free verse and not rhyming poems, I hear a rising cry for more well-rhymed verse from we poets. So here it is. And I know that this will be highly enjoyable, for me at least, my most well-rhymed verse. Terry Knott. Late and gray, late and gray, Terry Knott along the way. Granny's dinner bell is gone, it rings not out its welcome song. Can Tessa find her way back home? The clouds have rolled away the day. Brooding long, they threaten rain. Through the hollow and the wood, the path is not cut out so good. Late in the gray, late in the gray, tearing not along the way. There is no time to kneel and pray, tearing not along the way. 
catching would bees, one would be, two would bees, three, around the porch bulb on the mountain shack, mountain Charlie's fingers are black with work. Wood bees are yellow hornets berserk. One finger to the bulb, a hairy face and eyes to the light. But from Mountain Charlie, wood bees don't fly. One would be, two would bees, three. Mountain Charlie's fingers is the wood bee tree. cottage home. You are never too soon. You are never too late. You can feel the magic at our country cottage gate. Porch swings and beehives, pumpkins and mice. In our country cottage home, you know that everything is nice. Cobblestone sidewalks and patches sewn on bibs. Little wooden carvings for our country cottage kids. Yeah. Throwing penguins on the fire. Throwing penguins on the fire. Babies on the burning pyre. I never tire, I never tire of throwing penguins on the fire. Tuxedos in the moonlight. Tuxedos in the blaze. <laughs> Herding penguins single file to the fire beyond the grave. They need not squawk. They need not pout. I throw them on one by one unless the fire goes out. I don't know why I'm so inspired to throw the penguins on the fire. <laughs> Poor, out-of-place, snowman on the beach, foaming surf, salt mist in the sea breeze, 35 degrees, and me, standing four feet three, melted ice cream up white sleeves, under the overcast sky, licking at the three-collared cone. Snow boulders on the shore sand, stacked like the number eight, the swooping gulls curled out to sea at the very sight of him. A conch shell lay nearby where ordinary coal eyes looked at me and cried. Barometer dropping, white froth slopping, clouds shattered, hell scattered into the sea. Nobody seen Frosty drowning except me. <laughs> the wave took out his middle segment Pipe and top hat tumbled into salt sea. He dissolved there in the granular sand like melted ice cream slop from the sky <laughs> as the storm tore through coastal Carolina. The storm had no eye, only violent palms. There it is. Thank you, guys. Pick a couple out at random here, I guess. Um, I guess uh, these will be from my book, uh, my chat book, Appalachian Rivals. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with it. Yeah. Or any of the poems from my book.
This one is entitled Bowling. From one hilltop to the next, in a glimpse, an instant, I viewed the vision of elegance. The stepping form of a girl or woman wearing a yellow sundress, the grace of a dance move, lunging on one leg, an arm extended behind her, her fingers in the heavy black ball, which swings its downward arc, disturbing the tops of the late summer grass, bristled in the golden, her ankles down amid the stems, heads, and petals of black-eyed Susie's, to the full final end of her movement, pins thundering from the hollow, the soft breeze on the flowing golden field, on and around the hard sphere, causing her sundress to flit, bowling through the mountains and through my mind. Thank you guys. This next poem um, was published in the Bluestone Review 2010 edition. It's called Where You Come From. All the angels were around the sun, brightening the noonday skies with their light, shining down on the ground and on all the people. In a split open milkweed pod, amid its fluffs, you cried to be doll, the size of a bumblebee. Mama carried you home in her palm. You, our child, our baby, of Father Mountain and Mother Earth. You dripped from the tip of an apple leaf with the morning dew, and we found you in our husky's coat of fur. This next poem was published in the Appalachian Journal. Poets. Mastodons lumber, and even today, having grown into obscure giants, fameless with volumes of uttered truths behind them, unknown now and then, raise their trunks to trumpet, and scraggly, poor, roam the hills, dwarfing all but the mountains. This will be my last one for this evening. The Chinkapin Man. In the early fall, he sets the roadsides with brown paper bags full of the smaller than chestnuts, dwarf chestnuts, called chinkapins. You can crack them for hours by biting and enjoy their slightly sweeter, slightly richer than chestnuts flavor. You'll be happier than the circus if there are only few worms. And the chinkapin man is a folk icon, a happy sight, he, the humble, homeless servant brings us all to light. Yeah. <laughs>
So next we have Ashley Gill. Thank you everyone for showing up. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, the first poem in, uh, <clears throat> is called Beneath the Cross. It's a, <clears throat> it's a prose poem followed by a haiku. Uh, the Japanese call it a haibon. I stand beneath the cross upon which the Nazarene hangs lifeless. In front of me on their knees, his mother Mary, his faithful disciple John of Zebedee, and Mary Magdalene raise their arms in prayer. The sky is sorrow black, trafficked by dark clouds, and hardly any birds fly there. Except for a howling wind approaching, silence reigns. From the height of that cross, blood still trickles down from his wounds into a crimson puddle below. I have no more tears to weep, and then I see the bird above his thorned head. O robin redbreast, perched on the cross of Jesus, his blood marks you blessed. Um, Amy, you got me now into running. I can't resist. It's called infatuation. A moth and a light bulb fell in love one night. How brightly you shine, said the moth in the light. 
to the light. My, my, said the bulb, how your pretty wings fly. A moth and a light bulb found romance one night. This is love, said the moth, with conviction and glee. Is there a chance you might fall in love with me? Oh, yes, said the light bulb, you sweet little thing. Fly up where I'm waiting. Can you hear my heart sing? Fly up, let's talk, said the bulb to the moth. So its heart all a flutter, it flew up toward the light where the bulb was there shining, a small moon in the night. But see how love fizzles, how a fancy flight crashes, the light bulb still burning, but the moths gone to ashes. <laughs> I'll just read five in this uh, first little part. I've been known to get carried away. Um, <clears throat> this one is called, If Flowers Fought Color Wars. If flowers fought color wars like man unkind, what would become of springtime gardens, battling petals, stems entwined to the death, a desolate place where grass would mourn, and those gentle breezes, what of them? What could they whisper into the flower cups <clears throat> about seeds unborn who lie waiting to grow tall and straight beneath a peaceful sun, a rain empty of malice? This one's called, Because Mama Said. When I was a boy, I thought only insects, dogs and cats that crossed streets without looking both ways, goldfish belly up in bowls were subject to dying. I had seen them, inanimate on sidewalks, still as comic book cartoons, unmoving in their last breaths, and I thank God that kind of ending would never touch us because Mama said we would live forever. And one more. <clears throat> it cannot save lives. She hates poetry. Says, with a dime, it's worth what a dime will buy. She hates poetry, <clears throat> says, it can't save lives. It don't do tricks. It talks in riddles. What good is it? She hates poetry, says, I hate those rhymes. They turn my gut. <laughs> Roses are red. Poetry is dead. <laughs> she hates poetry, says, he read to me those sonnet lines <clears throat> of love, he said, would last forever. She hates poetry, says, alone at night, love dead and gone. I watch TV, I talk to walls, says, I hate poetry, says, it lies about love, says, as the lines are read, he's out the door.
This is called A Love Poem uh, in April. True love can set two hearts on fire, forge within the flames pure, golden, happy lives if love stays true, keeps its distance from deceit. Two hearts must beat as one, yet remain always two. And lovers will survive if they love God more than each other and walk in his light. Walk unafraid across the coals. Be totally consumed within the flames of true love and watch it ignite eternity. making wishes. She can make wishes beneath the evening sky one star at a time until she covers all she sees, fills her head like a basket with dreams to last a lifetime. But the stars have no clue about the wants of a child. The wish list she keeps secret in the diary pages of her mind. The stars are too far away preoccupied with twinkling in outer space to hear this child, too hard-pressed to figure out what they could do to please her. But every night, she shouts to the sky, one more wish. Um, it's no secret to people who have heard me read in poetry um, readings that uh, Cesar Vallejo was a great a uh, favorite of mine, uh, Rob, I think you once mentioned him too. Uh, uh, he, um, he died in 38, they killed him. And why did they kill him? Because he was a poet. Mm -hmm. And why do they kill poets? Because they say too much. They say too much. <laughs> Even though it's masked in, in, in metaphor and simile, what did he mean by that? Is he talking against us? Get rid of him. So like the Lorca, uh, like Lorca and a yes. few of the others, they just get rid of these people, okay? In praise of Cesar Vallejo, Peruvian poet who died in 1938, you took words like God, gathered Eden soil, and with your mighty pen infused life till those words, once lonely and ineffectual, stretched new bones in their verbal dance across your scribbled notebook pages. Cesar, when the world murdered you, garden flowers everywhere wilted in sympathy. Birds refused to trill songs in your hasty departure. And somewhere in the pre-life My soul trembled and wept. <coughs> Uh-oh. Pop's back. <laughs> My father used to do this all the time. And I say, Pop, let me ask you a question. You're an old guy. How could you cry by telling, you know, when you tell a sad story? Why? Once he was talking about his mother. She died in 39. This was 59. You know, I'm 18. Man of the world. I said, Pa, 
Grandma died 20 years ago. What are you crying for? He said, I don't care if she died in, in 1839. He said, I will cry for the rest of my life. And then I got old. <laughs> and I go to readings, and I can't, you know, it's terrible, because I never was like that. I don't know. Uh, I, I sometimes can't even finish a poem. Isn't that terrible? No. Anyway, the heart of hearing. This is a funny poem, so maybe I won't cry. Maybe I'll laugh. The heart of hearing are so misunderstood. They hear something bad that's really good, or they smile when, in fact, they really should get peeved, or at least where old folk frowns. Rattle arthritic bones to simulate jumping up and down. Hiss through their dentures, swear words sounds. But let's face it, they cannot hear the words. Hurled at them like stones at summer birds. Or hearing them, they mix them up into the absurd. Do you like my shoes? Is heard somehow as, how do you do? And the nastiest curses. Check them out. There's a slip. Filling up the air. The heart of hearing misconstrued. These old timers have too much pride to ask what say. Instead, prefer playing games by nodding, smiling, saying, okay. Which leaves them wide open to more verbal abuse. That the way the feelings of the old remain intact. What they don't hear cannot hurt them. The bad words, the inconsiderate throw at them, get thrown right back. Those unkind words go unheeded. Answered with smile, twinkle, a wrong reply. Maybe the heart of hearing play this game to help them survive the slings and arrows of the outrageous young. They choose to thrive despite it all. Pretending to be deaf, they remain in command. Just a game to diffuse a two-way war of words. They misunderstand so that, despite old age, somehow they still maintain the upper hand. <laughs> I am the summer grass. Beneath this green expanse, the fallen once tall with promise, now sleep in death's repose. Air, air, excuse me, there, dreams no longer frighten them. No bombs, nor shrapnel fly to wound their flesh and crush the hope of coming home again. I am the blaze of summer grass, the comforter to warm their peaceful sleep under this ground made sacred by their sacrifice, these soldiers sleep, their heads beneath the stone marker inscribed with dates of birth and death, eyes that had seen too much, windows of a soul gone home at last, sealed shut forever. Heroes, everyone, they rest now. I cover them with summer green. This one's called Preoccupied. <clears throat> Refusing a final cigarette and that last supper they feed death rowers. He waves away the preacher and stands not listening as the warden reads a page from the prison manual about last minute protocol. 
a step-by-step -step what to expect in that last room of his life. Instead, he is remembering a time when he and his kid sister sold lemonade behind their cardboard stand, and how they took all the money, every single buffalo nickel, and bought their mama a brand new Sunday hat. <laughs> This is for my wife and my love of poker. Hey, can't poets like poker? I see nothing in Congress about that. Anyway, uh, we gambled and won. You are the queen. I am the king. Two aces and a hand of love. All around us, jokers who don't know Jack say it's just a house of cards but two of a kind in a full house of love, we deal with their cynicism with a quick shuffle and a wave of our winning hands. <laughs> Thank you. I'm almost done. <laughs> you know, uh, I heard so many rhymers, so I'm gonna give my, um, Last poem uh, to rhymes. Silly rhymes, by the way. So that's good. It's called Breakfast. <clears throat> I think it was the Cheerios that took me from my Drearios and put me in my Merios to write some poems and storios. <laughs> I, I think it was the Cheerios swirling in my bolio that helped me lift my solio to heights a bit grandiose. Words as sweet as candios, thank God I ate those Cheerios. I'll write till I am Blerios. <laughs> then I'll have myself some Cheerios. <laughs> Part two of episode 52 is now available for download at either our website, at iTunes, or at your favorite podcasty downloady application. <laughs>